Hey guys, so if you want to find your seat, that would be great. You too, Micah. If you want to find your seat, <laughs> you hear me? Hey, dang, this is really cool. Happy Halloween! Yeah, I thought I saw people dressed up, but now I don't see anybody. Oh. Oh, I see the pirate. Okay, Jeff had a really cool hot dog costume on, and if he was still wearing it, he would have won the prize of best costume. That's all I'm saying. Hot dogs are my favorite. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you, Christopher, for introducing me. That was really awesome. Um, but I, yeah, I want to tell you just a little bit about myself. Um, I have been on staff. This is my second year on staff with Chi Alpha, and I actually just moved to West Virginia the summer of 2015, so I haven't been here that long, but I really, really like it. Um, Something else about me, in case you didn't know, I'm married to Sean McEntee, that guy up there that does sound. I don't know if anybody knows that, but we've been married. It'll be two years in February, so that's, yeah, <laughs> just want to share that. But um, yeah, I'm excited for tonight because, well, this is my first time preaching, so this is a cool experience, and Katie Goody and I get to preach together, which makes it even better. Um, and yeah, we are sharing the sixth beatitude of the Upside Down Kingdom, so it is Matthew 5.8. It's going to be put up there. Awesome. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I'm really excited. So we are going to pray first, and then we'll get into it, okay? Dear Jesus, thank you for tonight, God. Lord, I thank you for every single person that's in this room. Lord, thank you for who they are, God. Lord, I pray that you would open up their eyes and their ears, and especially their hearts for tonight, to hear from you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that your spirit would just, you would just come down right now, God. Speak through me. We need you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So one thing I forgot to mention is I'm actually from Texas. Most of us on staff are from Texas. And so what that means is all of my family, they still live in Texas. Um, my parents, my sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, we're all Mexican, so we stay in the same spot. Um, except for me, because, well, I'm up here, so I'm the odd man out. But, um... Yeah, I like think about my family, and does anybody else like love their grandparents and think they're the best? Yeah, yeah. grandparents, they let you get away with so much more than your parents, right? <laughs> and so the person I'm thinking of specifically is my grandpa. Um, I will refer to him as Popo because that's what I called him growing up, so we'll, we'll call him Popo. But Popo, um, yeah, he is the best grandpa and probably one of the best men that I know. Um, Grandpa-wise, he would always take us out to get ice cream at Baskin-Robbins, which is really cool. Um, Whenever my grandparents would take care of us and we would go to the store, we would stay in the car while my grandma went out to the market, um, and he would let us pretend to drive while the car was parked. So that was really fun too, right? <laughs> um, and also, um, this man, he always made sure that he recorded our memories. So we have home videos upon home videos stacked up. So we get to see what our first steps were and just parties and holidays and all these things. So I, I think that's really cool. Um, there's a story my grandparents tell me. They've actually told me multiple times because I think it's really funny, but I'm going to tell it tonight. Um, they went to a funeral back before I was born, and um, if anybody is Mexican or knows anything about Mexican funerals, after the wake, you go to somebody's house, you reminisce and laugh and cry, but there's always food. Like, there's soup, there's some type of sweet bread or, like, cookies or something like that. And so at this funeral, my grandpa, he had the task of taking care of my older sister, who at the time was around three or four. And my sister made her way to the cookie table. <laughs> and so at these cookie tables, there were these little Mexican cookies that were coated in cinnamon sugar. And my sister would grab the cookie, lick all the cinnamon sugar off, and she would put it back on the tray. <laughs> 
she did it cookie after cookie. And my popo, he was doing his job. He was standing right behind her, <laughs> watching her do it. And just so she wouldn't get in trouble, he would eat the cookie right after her. <laughs> it's really gross, but I mean, he didn't want her to get in trouble, so I thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, another thing about my grandpa is he is actually my step-grandpa. Um, I've known him my whole life, so I just think of him as my grandpa, but he actually came into my family's life when my mom was nine. Um, my mom is the oldest of four, and my grandma was raising them by herself. And so honestly, um, as my grandma was raising them, she was just trying to make ends meet, and they, were, they struggled financially growing up. And so when Popo came into the picture, he, he helped them and got them out of that slump. And the cool thing is that like, he loved my grandma so much, and he loved my sister and her siblings just as if they were his own. And so I like think about what he's done and, and how much he's loved them and provided for them, right? Um, and so looking back at Popo's life, I think of all the good things that he has done, but um, it still makes me wonder, even though he's done all these good things, is that enough for him to see God? Is that enough for him to be with God in eternity in heaven? And is that enough for him to experience his presence? Now, I'm not discounting anything that my grandpa did. I think he was a great man, and everything he did was loving, and it helped my family. But I think what we need to see is that we, we have a standard of what it means to be a good person, and to the world, that standard is good enough, like good enough to qualify us to get into heaven. But I believe that God's standard for good is much higher than what our standard is. Um, again, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. <laughs> this is the standard that God is calling us to, to be pure in heart. And we need this pure in heart if we ever want to see God, experience his presence, and, and be with him now and in eternity. So, when I think of the word pure, part of me is like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> like, Growing up, or even like now in society, we don't really use the word pure to like describe a person, right? We, we use it to like maybe describe objects, but I never really knew what pure what it meant to be pure. Um, the only context I would say I knew pure, like have purity in, was staying pure before marriage. But I'm not going to talk to you about sex tonight, so don't worry. <laughs> but um, I'm going to turn to what Merriam-Webster had to define it as: um, to be pure means to be clean. And it means to not be mixed with anything. So to be clean and not mixed with anything. Um, I'm going to give you all a couple examples that has helped me figure out what God means when he, mean, when he says, like, cure, or clean <laughs> and not mixed with anything. So the first one is, um, well, let me start off with this. Who was born in West Virginia? Or born at least in the Northeast area? Okay, so y'all have experienced snow year after year, right? Is anybody still impressed with how much it snowed last year? Do y'all remember that? I was so impressed. I remember last year we were hanging out with the goodies, me and Sean, and we put a ruler in front of their yard just to measure how tall the snow got. <laughs> and like by morning, it was gone. Like you couldn't even see it. Um, so I was super impressed with how much it snowed. But I was always also impressed with um, just the way it looked. Like, I remember looking out my, bl like, my blinds, and it was so bright whenever the sun was reflecting on it, right? And um, 
it was probably the whitest thing I've ever seen, like whiter than anything you've seen that's bleached white, right? And then, um, yeah, also clean snow. It's just so beautiful. Like not that stuff that's mixed up with the cars and that's all dirty, but it was like untouched, pure, clean snow. So when I think of what God means when he says pure is clean like that snow, that's stainless and untainted, right? I th that's the type of clean, not just a, not just a regular clean, but like super clean. <laughs> okay, and then the other example, um, does anybody own any gold? Like earrings or necklaces? Yeah, you're a gold person. Okay, so I've looked up the process of what it takes to make gold. And gold actually doesn't come in its natural state, like pure natural state of gold. It's actually like in a rock, and then it's mixed with like steel, um, of like silver, copper, and iron. So it has to go through this process of purification. So I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit about that process. Um, first, the rock is taken and it's grounded up into like a sand, and then that sand is mixed with a solution that makes it into like a muddy pulp, which I think sounds really gross. Um, but that muddy pulp, it goes into a tank where some of the solids sink to the bottom, and then the impurities, they stay on the top so they can drain away, right? So it's a little bit of cleaning, a little bit of separating. And then at that point, it's still not over. Um, it, whatever is put on the bottom is separated into another area, and it's kind of dried out, but another powdered mixture is placed into it, and all of that goes into a furnace, where literally nothing but fire can separate the impurities of the snow, or sorry, not the snow, <laughs> of the gold. <laughs> and so um, to become pure, it has to go through this constant separation from its impurities, right? And to be classified as pure gold, it has to reach the international standard of 99.9% um, pure. And so um, if after all that, it's still not pure, it goes back into the fire for that constant separation, constant cleaning from its impurities. Um, so with these two pictures, impure or impurity means to be clean and not mixed with anything. This is what I think God's calling our hearts to look like. I think he wants our hearts to be as beautiful and stainless and clean as that fresh white snow. And I think he wants to take our heart into a process of separation from the impurities that are in our heart. So we could say, blessed are the clean and not mixed with anything in their hearts. Um, so now that we've talked about pure, I want to talk about what God means when he says heart. <laughs> so I know when I think of my heart, I think of the internal organ that's inside of me that helps me keep living. Um, I also think of, um, I guess we could, we probably all think of this, we think of our emotions and the feelings and the affections. So it's like, oh, in my heart I feel this and this, right? But what is cool is that the Bible actually uses the heart to describe uh, many aspects of the man, not just his emotions. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he has this quote of, that would explain it really well. He says, the heart in scripture includes three uses. It is the center of man's being and personality. It is the fount out of which everything else comes from. It includes the mind, it includes the will, and it includes the heart. So yes, it has our emotions, but it also has where our thoughts come from. It has where our character is built and it comes from. And from our heart comes our will, the things that we desire. Does that make sense? And so tonight, I want to focus on the will aspect of our hearts. So, will. What is the will? If we will to do something, it means that it is based out of something that we strongly desire 
or it is a determination to do something to get what we desire, right? So if I want something, I have the choice and the power to go out and get what I want. Or if I have plans for my future, I will do whatever it takes to make that work out in my life so that I can get what I want for my future. So um, if anybody knows me, <laughs> I really like to eat. <laughs> like my love for food is like up here and I never miss a meal. I don't understand people who <laughs> miss a meal and go out throughout the day and like, oh, I haven't had dinner yet or lunch or whatever. But um, I love meals. I love snacks. And Sean knows this about me. I love like smorgasbords of food. <laughs> if I go to a party and there's like a table of food, I'm like a happy camper. I'll make my way to that table. I will fill up my plate to indulge myself and I'm good to go for the rest of the party. <laughs> So, what is my will at that point in time? It is to get that food. Um, but why? Like, why do I want that food? And <laughs> the answer is, I want to satisfy that indulgence in me. That is my motive, to satisfy and taste what is good. Um, another thing about me is that I really, really like helping people. And I like serving people. Um, if I go to someone's house and see that they need dishes washed or they need to be helped cleaning or like say they're setting up for a party, I, I want to be able to help them. Um, so, yeah, sorry. Um, but I could honestly tell you sometimes why, like why I do that um, is so that I could be seen as better than others. Um, I want to be seen as like a better friend or a better server. And so my will, my will is to be helpful, but my motive, my motive is, like I said, to be seen as better than others. And so we can see that with our will comes a motive as to why we do what we are doing, right? And so the thing that's interesting is that to the world, like what I'm doing, I'm, I'm helping people, right? Like that's good, it's seen as good. I'm like, oh, that girl's serving, like she's doing a good thing. Um, or even in eating, like, oh, like, just let her eat. Like, she can eat what she wants, right? But you can see in my heart, my, my motive, my motive isn't good. My motive is selfish. It's for my own gain and for my own satisfaction. But the reason it seems like I'm doing good is because to the world, what it means to be good is based on an outward appearance. It is determined by our actions. But, like you said, like I said, on the inside, my motives were just selfish. So we have to ask ourselves, what are our motives? Are our motives clean and pure and not mixed with anything else? Or are our motives mixed with selfishness, like selfish ambition and for our own gain? And I really believe the truth is that our motives aren't pure. I think our motives are always mixed with some type of selfishness in us. So Matthew 23, 25-26 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Even in Jesus' day, the religious people and the people there were more concerned about looking good on the outside instead of checking their hearts and pleasing the Lord on the inside. And it's so cool because it says, first clean the inside of the cup 
and then the outside will be clean. This is why our standard of good isn't good enough, because it is always mixed with something selfish. And that is not enough to see God. God's standard is not based on what we do or what we look like on the outside. God's standard for good is not based on what we do or what we look like on the outside. God's higher standard that we've been talking about is based on the inside. It's based on what our hearts look like, and it's based on the motives of our heart. And if we only ever live up to the standard of being good on the outside, and or, yeah, being good, doing good things on the outside, and we don't take care of what our hearts are, then we will never see God. We will never be with God now or in eternity. So I believe that the upside-down kingdom is asking us to purify our motives and to purify our hearts. So for our motives and wills to be pure, our wills cannot be for ourself and our selfish gain and desires. But our will has to be replaced with God's will and God's desires because his will and desires, they're good. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I truly believe that God's ways, his thoughts, his will, and his desires are far greater and better and higher than ours. And if we allow God to take hold of our hearts, and do the work of purification that he's calling us to, then we get to see God. <laughs> so we said, blessed are the pure in heart. Or we could say, happy are the pure in heart, right? And why are they happy? They're happy because they get to see God. They get to know him, and they get to experience a personal relationship with him, right? And so... Katie's going to come up, and she's going to share a little bit more what it means to be pure in heart. Cool. Um, well, I'm Katie Goody, yes, and I'm married to Jordan Goody. Um, yeah. That's how that works. And <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a little girl named Zoe. Yep. I don't know if you can see us. Jordan is black, and... <laughs> You may not be able to see him, but um, he's very handsome if you've never seen him before. And um, he, we've been married for seven years, which is really cool. And my undergraduate is in music education. Anybody music major in here? <gasps> Yay! Okay. <laughs> Katie. Katie was a music major. Um, she successfully graduated, however, with music therapy, which is so cool. And we are also from Texas. Katie Sombrio. Well, Sort of. She's from everywhere. Um, Jordan and I are from Texas. And I spent a couple years teaching middle school, high school. And um, Jordan and I moved here three years ago to start this Calpha. And Jordan is currently putting our little girl to bed because he cares that much about me preaching. We have a, a babysitter coming at 9, but she's a grad student, and so she had class till 8.50. So it's really cool. We get to look at how do we become pure in heart? 
how do we become pure in heart? This is really cool, Heather. We've just shown that we, our heart is comprised of not just our heart, right, but our mind, our whole person. Okay, so we're talking about the very core of our being. And we talk about our heart. But what is the state of our heart naturally? We need to answer that first. There's a really cool analogy that Pete Bulet uses. He said, picture that you inherited a house. And in this house is a tub that hasn't been cleaned in 10 years. And there's blue stains and there's brown stains. There's those little black spots. And there's a moldy towel that you have no idea how long it's been there. You see in the corner there's a shampoo bottle <laughs> that has stuff growing on it. <laughs> and then, there, then there's hair that you don't even want to know how long it's been there. This, this is what his sin, done, sin has done to our hearts. Okay. Very, very dirty. Our hearts are as dirty as that tub. So our first point is that a pure in heart person is willing to let God see them for who they really are, sin and all. Okay. A pure in heart person is willing to let God see them for who they are, sin and all. I have a question for you. Have you ever met a person that just thinks they're the coolest person in the world. Okay. Yeah. And then and then they tripped <laughs> or they smiled or you know, they picked their nose or something. <laughs> um yeah, I have I've been that person. You know, I come into a room and I'm like, "Oh, I just think I'm so cool." And, and then I trip and I'm like, "That's really embarrassing." But but the the truth is I don't have it all together, right? We don't have it all together. We don't. We like to appear like we do, right? And whatever that means to you. For some of us, it's a sporty look. For some of us, it's a different look. This is not who I was forever. I was a big tomboy growing up. Christopher knows. He's my brother. And we played a lot of touch football, and it was fun. <laughs> and, um, and so I say that to say that whatever you present yourself as, we're trying to be cool. And so what does it take to really let this go and show who we really are? It takes humility. Takes humility. Humility, we're going to use this definition tonight, is having a right view of self. Okay. Not too high and not too low. Okay. Too high says, I have more value than you. Too low says, I have no value. Both are wrong. Does that make sense? So, humility is having a right view, view of self. Um, James 4 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay. Uh, that, that's a lot of relationship right there. I think the first thing is, as we walk through, pure in heart, we get to see God. We have to remember that God, God is a person, okay? And he resists the, cr the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is knowing in our heart of hearts who we are and admitting to God who that is. For instance, me, myself, without God, without his Holy Spirit, I'm impatient with my daughter Zoe. Okay. Me, without God, I'm not a good mother. I'm selfish. I just want her to sleep all day, so I can sleep all day, <laughs> you know. Um, without his Holy Spirit, my heart is full of sin. Humility gives us the ability to let ourselves admit who we are in front of God. And that can be intimidating. 
Have you ever had a professor or teacher you really respected? And you're like, I don't, I, I just want them to like me. I want them, you know, I want, want them to see this version of me, even if it's not really me. You want to impress them. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Heather said this earlier, the heart in scripture includes three uses. It is the center of man's being and personality, is the fount out of which everything else comes from. It includes the mind, it includes the will, it includes the heart. Okay, that's important to understand as we're thinking about being vulnerable and humble because it's not separate. It's not like, oh, I'll be humble with this, but I won't be humble with this, God. Okay, so we have to, we get, we get to be humble. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend we have it all together. Does that make sense? My character, who I am, what I look like, all of it, humble, have a right view of self. Have you ever tried to make yourself clean on the inside to stop those thoughts? To have patience? To love someone who's so very different from you? To not go to that website? to not go to that bar. It's like that tub, that dirty tub. You've tried everything, right? You've tried homemade cleaners, you've tried super cleaners, you've tried the stupid little $10 infomercial. You've tried everything. But imagine that one day you're talking to a friend and that friend says, Katie, I found this cleaner. I found the solution to your tub. And you're like, what? You found the solution to my tub? You're like, yeah, it's right here in this bottle. I take it, go home, get down on my hands and knees in the bathroom, and I, I, I take that, that cleaner, and I start, and I put it on a washcloth, and I wipe it away, and it's white. Like that snow that I was talking about. It's white as snow, right? That's what Jesus' blood does in our hearts if we let him. It's his job if we let him to cleanse our hearts. We have a job too in that, but we'll get that to that in a minute. The point is that Jesus cleanses and purifies us from all sin. Point two, someone who is pure in heart lets God cleanse their heart. John says in 1 John 1.8, right? That's nice. Have a book written after you. <laughs> 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, purify us from all unrighteousness, like that snow. When God gives us a way to have a pure heart right here. Whenever we're selfish, whenever we're unkind, 
whenever we're unloving, whenever we hurt someone. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. So how do we confess our sins? <laughs> that might be a term, a phrase, that you grew up in church and you're like, that's really cool. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> or you're hearing it for the first time today and you're like, that sounds awesome. How do I do that? <laughs> for me, personally, it looks like waking up in the morning and remembering what I did the day before. I was rude to Jordan and either writing in my journal or saying it in my head or saying it out loud. Jesus, I was rude to Jordan last night and I'm sorry. It's taking time to think, think. It's funny, you're in college, right? But I wonder sometimes how little you think, only because I've been there, right? You're like, well, I'm just supposed to memorize this stuff and spit it out on a piece of paper. Is that thinking? Maybe. And some of you very well think. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, that sometimes we get in this habit of doing and we forget to be. We forget to be. Okay? That's what's so cool about these be attitudes, right? These are being things. Getting alone with God and being honest with him is very, very important. Honesty with, with God is good, but we can't stop there. As we dive deeper and deeper into our hearts, I'm going to say a prayer for us. Lord God, thank you so much for every single person here. Jesus, you know where each person is with you. Holy Spirit, please pierce our hearts. Hebrews 4.12 4 talks about how your scripture is piercing, even dividing joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Lord, please do that now. We love you. Amen. Purity in heart is about desiring the Lord wholeheartedly. There's a scripture in James 4, 8 that says, purify you heart, your hearts, you double-minded. So what's the opposite of double-minded? Single-minded. Let's wholeheartedly desire, desire God. It's kind of like one of those things where if I invite someone to a party, but don't expect them to show up, and then they show up. I don't have food for them, or I don't, you know, I don't have the necessary. You know, I'm not dressed for a party. You know, like that's that's silly. If if we happy are those who are, who are pure in heart, for they will get to see God. We have to want to see Him. Does that make sense? Pure in heart means wholeheartedly seeking a relationship with God. So how do I have a relationship with God? In the past, I might have believed that Christianity was boiled down to a ticket into heaven. But that's kind of more like insurance than a relationship. 
a relationship means when I get to know you, I listen to what you have to say, I talk back. <laughs> I am interested in what you're interested in. I do things with you. In the upside down kingdom, we get to be friends with God. It's so cool. We spend time with him. Now, during my freshman year, I we had a lot of 8 o'clock classes as a music major. You just did, because you had rehearsal in the afternoon. So I had 8 o'clock class, and I lived in a dorm room that was just down the bottom of the hill of the music building, which was so awesome. <laughs> so I'd wake up, set my alarm, 7.50, sometimes 7.51. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> my alarm would go like, oh, okay, got to get dressed, brush my teeth, grab a Nutrigrim bar, and head up the hill. Not a hill like this, and not in West Virginia. It's a pretty small hill. And um, run up the hill, <laughs> sit down in class, still beating my Nutrigrim bar. And if I spent time with the Lord, it was maybe reading a chapter out of the Bible and praying throughout the day or if I had a test or something I needed. It's like, okay, cool. Kind of like, like a lottery machine or something like that. Not really a relationship. <sighs> so that doesn't really sound like the best way to spend time with God. In the book Celebration of Discipline, which is a legit book and you should get it, by Richard Foster, write that down, Richard Foster. He says this. I'm waiting, because I know you're writing. Find a place that is quiet and free from interruption. No telephone should be nearby. It is best to have a designated place rather than hunting for a different spot each day. Waste a lot of time. And if you found a place that's really special, it's like Sarah and I. I have memories of places I've been with her. And I'm like, oh, I remember sitting at my table and we had breakfast tacos or whatever. And so I say that to say that, like, it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's having a relationship with him. You'll have memories. You'll build memories with him. So cool. Now, in a house with roommates, this can be tough. I recognize this. But there was a season last year, y'all, where I had a very small baby who slept a lot, but sometimes was very cranky. And so sometimes my best time with the Lord was spent in the car with a sleeping baby. So, and sometimes on top of the, the law school, I would sit there and look out at Morgantown and pray. And, and I say that to say that be creative. Be willing to be silly. Somebody drove past me. I might have been praying out loud. I might have been praying, <laughs> writing in my journal. I might have been reading. I might have been closing my ears because my baby was screaming. I was probably driving at that point. But for real, be willing to be silly to the, to the eyes of the world. The upside down kingdom doesn't make sense to the world, right? I have to say this. So when we're friends with God, this is in James 4. When we're friends with God, we're going to be enemies of the world. Enemies. Okay, the world is not going to like us. So that interruption thing, let me tell you how many times. I, I do this I, I, overnight. I put my phone on airplane mode because I use my phone for my alarm in the morning. And so instead of turning my alarm off and seeing four to ten text messages, I don't see any text messages. And my day has not started until I've spent at least half an hour with the Lord. Does that make sense? Now for you, it's going to look different, like I said. To me, the morning is the best time because t 
to me, it feels like I'm giving him my first fruits of the day, my best part of the day. Because later on in the day, whew, my mind is going to be in 40 different places. It's like, it was like working on this sermon. I couldn't work on the sermon while Zoe was taking her nap because my mind was gone. I was like, I want to eat. I want to eat lunch. I want to, I want to do the dishes. I want to, you know, I want to do all these different things. And, um, I want to take a nap. I want to take a 20-minute nap. You know, these different things. And so in the beginning of the day, if you haven't started your day yet, you're giving the Lord that time, that special time. And one last thing about that is that the interruption, um, sometimes they can be good interruptions. You know, we're, oh, we forgot to put our phone on silent. We're on airplane mode, and somebody calls us. We haven't talked to in, you know, 20 years or whatever, you know. We're like, oh, yeah, I haven't talked to them, you know. And then all of a sudden, what was going to be 30 minutes with the Lord is two minutes reading your Bible or praying or whatever that looks like for you. I said this in the prayer, but Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word scripture is one of the best ways to let God purify our heart over and over and over again. The band can come back up. If being pure in heart is wholeheartedly seeking God and then we get to see him, it's really cool because you're both moving towards each other. You're moving towards the Lord and he's moving towards you. As we think about being pure in heart, we have to remember that the world is not going to like someone wholly devoted. If you're excited about the Lord, if you're talking about him, there are going to be people that are going to shoot you down. You're going to talk about, I read this really awesome thing in scripture this morning, and there might be somebody that's like, oh yeah, that's that's really cool, dude. And that that's okay. It's like, it's like being a friend. If I'm friends with Bray, and I'm like, hey, Bray and I had a really great time, and somebody refuses to get excited with me I'm like I still had a really great time with Bray I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> like there there has to be a real resolve does that make sense that Bray and I are friends regardless of what somebody else thinks okay Bray and I are friends regardless of what somebody else thinks why do I do the things I do and who do I do them for how often do we do things to please somebody else? How often do we do things to please ourselves? How often do we do things to please our parents? It'll take time for God to purify our hearts. This is a process, okay? But the more that we let scripture take hold in our hearts, the more we will get to see God, okay? This requires humility, it requires a right view of self because it's it's like if I if I have a wrong perspective of reality, if I think I am six foot five and I can play basketball and I go out there and jump on the court, 
I have an unrealistic view of reality. It's, I can't play basketball like a six foot. I'm going to try to dunk, and I'm going to land on my face. So it has to start within our hearts, knowing who we are and admitting who we are. So the three things that I want us to remember when we leave tonight. Purification doesn't happen just once. It's a process. It happens over and over and over again. Just like that gold, it gets put back in the furnace and put back in the furnace and put back in the furnace. The more that I personally have accepted that, the easier those times that the Lord has put me back in the furnace have been. Because my expectation is a lot closer to reality than if I expect, oh, life is going to be easy peasy. God cares about me, and so he wants to purify me. In the right kingdom, we think that we can do anything. We think that we can make ourselves patient or good. It might work on the outside, but it does not work on the inside. In the upside-down kingdom, we let the Lord make us good by admitting that our hearts are dirty and letting the Lord make us clean. Through God's word purifying our hearts, we begin to know him. In order to step into the upside-down kingdom, we have to start with the question, why do I do the things I do, and who do I do them for? Let's clean that tub. Let's purify our hearts. We won't do it. Jesus will reign. Father God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that over us, that we would let go of our pride, our unrealistic view, Jesus, of, of ourselves, our unrealistic view, Lord, of what we can and can't do, what our character looks like, what our characters become. Paul tells us that in the Bible that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but spiritual things. So often the results are because of something inside needing to be fixed. So Lord God, I ask tonight, throughout worship, that you would begin purifying and purifying and purifying, Lord. Begin showing us those things that we need to confess, that we, that we get to confess, because we don't have to hold on to them anymore. We don't have to be that person. We don't have to be that person. We get to walk out of dirtiness and into cleanliness. We don't want to be dirty, Lord. We want to be clean. We want to be pure. Father God, as we step into this, I just pray a special prayer of guarding, that you would guard our hearts. As we walk this out, help us to have a real resolve that we don't care what anybody else says. We're going to be friends with you. Jesus, thank you so much for your blood and what you did on that cross. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for redeeming us, Lord. We love you.